Welcome to Public Servants Announcements. This week's episode is a continuation. I, I probably should have just like separated this series of episodes just because they are all one group of people. But it's a continuation of me getting to talk to and interview the people from the wonderful Carter staff that we had over a two-year period. Um, and this member of that group, I want to say was actually a new teacher at the time, but it's hard to remember because I don't think you would ever have guessed that if you didn't know because she told you. Um, she is the innovator of my use of technology in the classroom. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that can say that, but she is also just a phenomenal leader and person. And so without further ado, I'd like to welcome Miss Stravonia Finley. How are you doing? I'm very well, how are you? I'm doing good, I'm doing um, good. I don't know if I live up to that intro, but thank you. <laughs> you definitely live up to the intro I just in my podcast with somebody else I was telling them who I was going to be coming on next and they were like oh that's going to be a good one. Oh, that's going to be a good one she said oh wait you got Finley to talk on camera like recording I said yeah <laughs> no, that their reaction was was very on point this is because I love you <laughs> oh well I now I feel special and that's how we know this interview is going to live up to it. So the same question I start with everyone, just how did you get into education? Okay, um, my story was a little rocky, actually, at the beginning. I, right out of high school, went to college, but I partied a lot and didn't finish. Got married, did life, and in my early, mid-30s, we adopted our, our son and, you know, continued to do the things. And he got into school and taught elementary fourth grade, if you can believe that. Okay. okay, so you started with elementary school. What was that like? <laughs> that elementary is not for me. I'm just going to say that right off. Um, I love kids, I really do, but I love them in small doses. So the the whining and the tattletale mentality, and I just could not deal with it. But fourth grade, fifth grade, if I had to do elementary, it fourth fourth or fifth grade only, uh, you know. But um, <laughs> I was I was in a large district at the time and like I said I was alternative certification for people who don't know what that means that means I did not get a degree in education and I had to find an alternative route into the classroom where I could get certified to learn some basic pedagogy or teaching skills and how to organize and manage my classroom now <laughs> this is not an uncommon route um, apparently I thought it was but it, it isn't. So you would think there would be more support along the way. The school I happened to be at was going through a lot of transition. Uh, the first year I was there, we had a principal who was removed 
and relocated to a different position in a different building by late October, I wanna say. And then we had an interim principal for about two months. And then when we came back for the second semester, we had a new interim principal who was projected to be our, so three different people led this school the first year I was there. Um, there were only four fourth grade teachers, two were bilingual, and then two were general education. But <laughs> the first semester, one of those general edu education classes was me, and the other was various substitute teachers. So when I say I had a rocky start for my first year, I had a rocky start. I thought I was doing a good job. My kids loved me. My parents loved me. My kids were showing growth, not at the rate I would want to see now, but they were showing some growth. And at the end of the school year, I went from being one of the favorites to you should not be teaching Mrs. Finley <laughs> and we are not going to certify you. So <laughs> uh, that was a very humbling experience to say the least, because I've never been bad at anything. And I had to really do some soul searching, like, okay, am I going to be angry and just give up and quit? Or am I going to put a pause on this? Like, I just had to figure out what I was going to do. I'll be honest, in the last year, I've been able to say that principal's name, and that was back in the 2013-14 school year. So it's been a while. I couldn't even say her name. That whole experience affected me tremendously. But... Um, like I said, I took a pause. I did a year as a substitute teacher. And because my son was still in elementary school, I still ended up in an elementary school almost every day and on his campus. And then I decided, no, I really do like teaching. I really do like the kids. And get back into this. I knew that I couldn't just walk into another alt cert program and say, hey, I'm already tested and passed for you know, these grade levels take me, they were like, no, you're gonna have to pretty much start over. So I had to take another certification test and pick a new grade level, which was fine because when I started, I knew I wanted to teach middle school. Everybody kept telling me, no, do elementary, it's easier. So I listened to everybody else instead of listening to myself, did that. And anyway, did a year's a sub, did, tried to get on in another school district where I was subbing, um, that there just weren't any openings or I couldn't get hired, whatever the case may be. I ended up working as a para just so I could guarantee that I had a paycheck every month. That was probably the best decision I could have done because while I was subbing and while I was working as a para, I was also working on my master's for teaching and learning with technology. And as a para, I was following the um, students whose who, uh, English was their second language. So I got to be in several different grade levels because the middle school I worked at was six through eight. I got to work with all three grade levels and five or six different teachers. 
So I got to see some of the best teachers on that campus and a couple of the not so great teachers on that <laughs> campus. So I got to learn a lot. So when I did walk into Carter, as I say, it was my first year 2.0, I had a, a it was better than being a student teacher, I think. So. Okay, so that is, oh, yeah. I forgot a, what the question was because I just started talking. <laughs> no, that, that answered the question. So it was definitely what was, like, how did you get into education? And that's both a route that I think on the last podcast um, with Dr. Bell, we talked about how alternative certification is actually more common, especially now than going to get an education degree because if you get an education degree a lot of people are realizing that you end up being stuck in only education because what used to be considered oh you have an education degree which means you've learned how to lead you've learned how to organize now it's just you can only teach and so a lot of people are going to get a four-year degree and then just getting certified to be a teacher and then of course there's always the people who go out and work in corporate America and then come back to teaching. Mm -hmm. And so it's a more common thing, but you also got to teach and then go get recertified and then be a para, be a substitute. So you've done a lot lot more in the classroom than most everyday teachers. So what are some of those, because I've never been a substitute. I've never been a para. Mm-hmm. So like, what are, how are those things different than being a classroom teacher of record? Um, well, first of all, being a para, everybody thinks it's easy because you're not the teacher of record. You don't have to do all the lesson plans and worry about how your kids are going to do, but you still worry about them because you're working with them. First of all, if you're not worried about them, you shouldn't be doing that. Um, but the fact that you go into different classrooms and every teacher has their own style and own manner of doing something, even if you're in the same subject, it looks completely different every room you go in. So you have to be very adaptable and um, you have to have very good communication skills because you have to constantly be in collaboration with these teachers, not that you're helping them build their lesson, but you need to know how it's supposed to work and how it's supposed to um, progress. So when you go into their classroom, you're not hindering anything. You're an actual help to the teacher and the students. So sometimes for me, just because I knew that my goal was to get back into the classroom as a, a teacher of record, I would do some of the uh, modifications on their tests for them or on assignments just to help my kids. And they came to really, I still have a couple of those teachers that I'm friends with and they're like, hey, do you remember when we did this one activity? What was that thing you did for the, and I was like, oh yeah, I'll send it to you. It's in my Google drive, you know, but they don't have time to do all those little details. So if you're, if you're a good para, in my opinion, you're collaborative and you're um, adaptable, very flexible to change. Now, as a substitute, I got to work as um, a long-term sub and 
as you know, just the one or two days that a teacher would be out. Grade levels from, whew, I did kindergarten twice. They're exhausting. <laughs> and I don't have the energy for that. I'm too old. <laughs> I'm not too old, but I don't have the energy for that. Um, second grade through fifth grade was where I spent most of the time. I did high school a little bit. Um, and I did quite a bit of junior high just because I knew I wanted to be in a junior high classroom. But as far as a sub, you really had to be quick on your feet, have a quick wit, I think, because kids are gonna try and test you. And you also have to have a plan of your own of how you're going to fill time and space because every teacher isn't going to be meticulous in the directions that they give you, you know, to fill their kids time. They're not going to always have that classroom that can run without the teacher. So you had to have your own plan just in case. So that was a good thing for me too, because I never had, once I became teacher of record, I never had those spaces where I was like, okay, what am I going to do now? I always had something as a backup which leads to good classroom management, I think. Um, I was lucky enough that the kids I worked with at the elementary level anyway, knew who I was because I was also an active parent on my son's campus. So they had already seen me, half of them, some of them knew me. Um, but by the end of the school year, by the end of that school year, they were inviting me to their graduation parties and whatnot because without knowing that it was a strategy, I was building relationships with those kids because I genuinely cared about them. I saw them every day, just like any other teacher on their campus. And I, like I said, I didn't know that that was a strategy for classroom management. That's just who I am. So right. that, I mean, that's perfect. And a lot of people, especially teachers, like, I, I don't think I started thinking about what a substitute had to do in a classroom until I was out of the classroom. Because then I got to see where substitutes were struggling and see why they were saying that we needed to have, you know, three days worth of sub plans just in case. So we had to have, you know, give them twice as much work as they'll actually need on those days, knowing that they won't finish it all, but that way the substitute doesn't have to do what you were having to do, come up with their own thing. Because mm -hmm. substitutes in a lot of cases aren't certified teachers and right. don't, I mean, I mean, in a lot of districts don't have to have a college degree, let alone a certification to do anything. Um, and I like how you said, as a parent, you took on the responsibility to do modifications and do accommodations yourself. Um, and I've, I've done co-teach and so I've had paras, I've had co-teachers like, and there is a difference between those two things. Yes. Um, but do you think that being a para helps you work with paras better as a teacher? I think so because the paras that did come into my classroom, I could tell when they first started coming in that they expected their role to just kind of sit with that one student that they were there to visit or 
to just kind of sit there and, and log their time. Um, no, <laughs> if you're another adult coming in my classroom and you're earning a paycheck, you're gonna earn your paycheck. So when you come in, I'm now, mind you, to, <laughs> because of the way schools work and parents are always getting pulled into other things, I never expected them to be there when they were supposed to be. So when they were there, that was just bonus. I'm like, oh, great. Here, I have a lesson already ready for you. It is scripted. You don't even have to, you can read it and ask these questions, record their answers. Um, you're going to work with these four kids. It might have one or two that they're there for. Others that just need that same type of guided instruction. So if you're in my classroom, we're not going to separate kids that are quote unquote special or have paperwork. We don't, we're not doing that. So you're going to work with whoever needs it at the time. And they also knew my kids, my students also knew that if the para said you need to do something, then you need to do it. They're the same as I am. They weren't a teacher's aide. They weren't a para. They were a teacher. So I think just setting those um, definitions and clarifications up at the beginning between the adults and then the adult and the kid made the world a difference. Paras loved coming to my room. <laughs> See, and I only had... I want to say I had three at Carter and then I had two different co-teachers at Bowie. And they all said good things about me to my face. Um, and I've never heard anything negative, but I did kind of the same things. Just this is another adult. This is another teacher in the room. Part of that was because I didn't understand the difference <laughs> until mm -hmm. I became, until I left the classroom. And mm -hmm. so in my head, they really were just another teacher. And I think that helped students look at them that way. But also it meant I treated them like another teacher. So I gave them the same respect, but I also gave them the same responsibility. Like, yeah. look, you, you can teach this part of the lesson to these students because this mm -hmm. is the part we need or these students. And I tried my best to make sure I had things for them before they got there. And I was the same as you. After my second year teaching, just in general, I realized they may or may not show up and yeah. it may or may not be their fault. So you just plan for them not to be there. And then mm -hmm. when they get there, you have these things and now you can do your small group and they can do their small group or you can split the small group from eight to right. four. And yeah. I think that made a huge difference in how I was perceived by paras and by co-teachers versus how other teachers may have been seen because I've seen teachers go the total opposite way and they're like okay the pair is here you can just grade these papers oh okay the pair is here take this person outside of the room and y'all can work in the hallway on what we did last week that they may or may not actually still need help with mm -hmm. um or here give them this lesson that we're doing in class while I'm doing it but sit at the back of the room and don't make too much noise and distract the other students and only do it with this student. And now the student feels pointed out, the pair is usually a little confused. Right. And it, it just, it seems very disorganized. And mm -hmm. it does, this organization just doesn't work in public school. Not and so <laughs> I've noticed you are probably the most organized teacher I've ever worked with. Oh, thank where, you. <laughs> where did that come from? 
<laughs> okay, this is the funny part because if my husband heard you say that, he would be <laughs> on the floor rolling. But I am very different at home than I am in my professional life. So let me just that because uh, home is, yeah, that's why you only see this wall. <laughs> but um, in alternative certification, okay, since I was at Carter and it was my 2.0 year, I had, I got credit from the new alt cert program that I signed up with. They gave me some credit from the first one because it, some of the stuff overlapped, but I still had to clock X amount of hours and the time <laughs> that it takes to be a first year teacher is just ridiculous. Ooh, mm -hmm. And one of the things I noticed very early on is that I was taking home a lot of work and not really getting it done because once I came into you know my home, I had family stuff to do. I had to fix dinner. My son needed help with his homework. And you know, then it was he was still kind of little. So it was like, okay, I gotta make, I mean, I didn't have to give him a bath at that point, but it was like, hey, go take your bath, go brush your teeth. I had to make sure all this stuff got done. And I was exhausted. So that work that I brought home a lot of times just went back the way it came and never got touched. I was like, okay, there's got to be a better way. And my son's fourth grade teacher, he was lucky enough to have her fourth grade and fifth grade. She was his English teacher. The most amazing teacher I have ever seen in my life. This teacher had fourth graders writing better than most high school students. I, she does not teach at that elementary school anymore. I wish I could find her because I need to pick her brain some more. She is amazing. But she was kind of like my focal point. I was like, I need, I want to be like her when I grow up. Mm -hmm. And so when I had the opportunity, I would just ask her like, hey, how do you get all those essays graded? And she's like, girl, I'm not grading the whole thing. I need them to know how to write a controlling idea statement. All I'm reading is their intro. And I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. <laughs> so <laughs> I said, okay, that's one thing I can do for grading. And then I just started noticing uh, or remembering when she was on her conference period, she wouldn't go out and chit chat with the other teachers. She would lock her door and do whatever it was she had to do. And I don't know if she was asleep or if she was working. It didn't matter. It was her time to do what she needed to do. So I was like, okay, I'm going to start doing that. And then I got to the point where, like I said, to clock all these hours for <laughs> alternative certification. And the principal said, uh, Mr. Lazardo, he said, hey, you can do some outside PD. And if it, you know, if it's good PD, I'll give you credit for it. And I'll sign off on it. I was like, awesome. So I found this thing called the 40 hour teacher work week or something like that. And it took me almost the whole semester to get through it because it was blocked, but it gave you so many different ways to plan out your week, not just your Monday. Um, so now I plan like two weeks in ahead. I'm always planned up two weeks in advance, not just lesson plans because I'm out of the classroom now, but I have these meetings and I need to work on these projects. So I have all that time blocked off. And then when changes come up, like, you know, inclement weather, 
it's easy for me to reschedule because I already know what my time looks like going forward. So that was the first thing, planning my time ahead. But that program just gave me tips on how to grade without having to do all the work. Because as a new teacher, you don't know, and you're trying to grade every single thing you assign. That's ridiculous. Because when you really look at it, like you teach them something, they have like the ideas that they don't know what they're doing. So you're teaching them how to do it. Then you give them time to practice. Why are you grading their practice? That's just dumb. Right. But it took me a while to realize that that was dumb. Like all I need to know is, did you get it in the end? When you got it, show me you got it. and You can stop practicing. You can move on and add that into the next level. We can keep it moving. But if you, you know, if we get to the point where I'm testing you on something and you still haven't gotten it, it's much easier for me to figure out where I'm going that next couple of weeks because I know who needs what and I don't have to wait for data from the district and all that kind of stuff because I'm always working ahead. That was really hard for me because I have a hard time with switching from, it's a good thing we don't write checks anymore. I'd still be writing 2022 <laughs> on them. Uh, like, don't ask me what date it is, but I know that in two weeks, I have a meeting with, you know, person A, and we're going to be creating some new, hopefully interesting and engaging professional development for Arlington's summer impact, because I got tired of seeing all the stuff that, you know, was on there and I'm going off topic, but yeah, I took that organization course and I still use those resources. So when I see myself slipping I go back and I look and I was like, okay, what does she say about this? And it was worth my, I think it was like 120, 125 bucks to pay for it out of my own pocket, but it was so worth it because like I said, I'm still using those strategies and techniques that I learned. And this was from a teacher. So That's great. Cause there aren't many, and this sounds terrible, but I, there aren't many good professional developments out there that teachers can actually use and put into practice right away. A lot of them are either repetitive or mm -hmm. it's basic knowledge. Like, yes, we know this, but how do we do this? Right. How do we implement this? How do we, how do we get past where we are to even get to the point where we can do this? Um, so to hear that there's a professional development that's, I mean, 40 hour teacher work, that's the number one complaint. Mm -hmm. I hear from every teacher is that I don't have enough time. And so I'm forced to show up early, stay late, and then take away time from my kids, or I'm just not going to be very good at it. Right. And so yeah. it's great to hear that there's a professional development out there for that. It also, and, and I'll be honest, I was still coming early. I, I just, I like to get stuff done in the mornings when it's quiet and there's nobody there to bother me. So I would get there early anyway, um, because I also like to, chit chat and socialize with my colleagues, which you, it's not like another job where you're sitting in the next cubicle and you can have a conversation while you're working. That doesn't happen in teacher life. So you're during the, when you catch each other in the hall, or if you're on your planning period and somebody else has the same planning period, that's when you're socializing, but that's also cutting into your workday. So that was part of my blocking off time. I knew I was gonna get there at like seven o'clock in the morning school didn't start till 8.45. So if I needed to grade papers then or whatever it was I needed to do, that's more likely when I did it, not really during my planning period. 
because you're getting pulled a hundred different directions during your planning period too. So. Yeah, I get it. And I spent most of my planning period time hiding just from everybody. Um, so I was never in my room grading papers because that's the first place they look for you. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Don't answer that phone. <laughs> yeah, no, especially <laughs> after COVID when answering the phone meant you were now covering someone's class. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> You know what? I don't miss COVID teaching. I'm probably one of the few people that will say that. I don't miss it at all. I kind of liked, but then again, I like technology. I liked the kind of hybrid, not having kids at home and kids at school, but the fact that they could move fluidly mm -hmm. and I could have lessons built for both. I liked that because any given time, if I don't feel like, I mean, and my kids, Kids are like this too. And we always forget that they're people. They're not feeling you every day. And if they could just stay home, but still get the work done, that's a bonus to me. I thought we were going to like have this great change when we came back. Like we had real, made all these realizations about how kids actually learn and how teachers like to work and, you know, what was successful, but that's not what happened. We just went right back to the status quo that was before COVID that wasn't working then, but yet we're going to continue doing it. Yeah, I feel like we all thought that there was going to be some major like educational shift, some yeah. movement that was going to happen where we were going to pay teachers better. We were going to give them autonomy to what they're teaching. We were going to make it more not just technology centered, but student centered and focused towards how they learn and showing up and being present was going to be not optional, but you would have a choice and maybe you would come to school Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but Tuesday and Thursday would be remote days or something like that. We had all of these ideas. Yeah. And then COVID ended and it was like, okay, come back. <laughs> we'll try it the same way we've been doing it for the last, you know, 70 years. It, yeah, that's <laughs> still not working. Even if you didn't do remote days and um, in-person days alternatively or like, you sign, I don't know, even if there was no flexibility in that, flexibility in time would have even mm -hmm. been a good thing. You have a lot of teachers who have to get their kids to school in the morning, and some of them have to drop their kids off and leave them at the school with no supervision. It's cold, it's dark sometimes, because they have to get to work to be there for somebody else's child when we could easily say, okay, um, what time, and, and if we're using school for daycare anyway, other people work flex schedules. So why don't we say, hey, when you enroll your kid, you rolling enrolling for morning session, midday or, or late morning, or however they wanna block it off, you can have different start times. That also means different ending times. That also means we don't have overcrowded buses. We probably wouldn't even need as many bus drivers and the bus drivers who are working could actually work a full day instead of those, like they put on there $32 an hour. Yeah, but you're working four or five hours a day. That's not a grown person's job. I'm glad I'm not the only one who recognizes that as a <laughs> that bus driver, like bus drivers do make $30 an hour, but they work from seven to nine and then three to five. Yes. And then how are you supposed to get another job with that? That's, you know gonna pay your bills when you only have a portion of the day where mm -hmm. you could hire less bus drivers 
they could work a full day because they've got staggered, there's shuttles for high school, there's field trips, there's these staggered start and stop times for other grade levels. I mean, it's, there's so many different things that make more sense than what we're doing now. And let me tell you, the people that I work with now probably run when they see me getting on the elevator or walking down the hall because I'm like, hey, aren't you so, so, such, and such? Let me ask you a question. <laughs> and I, right now I'm on this buzz about, um, you know, it's, it's post-COVID, we've had more teachers leave the profession than ever before, I don't know about ever before, but we had a lot leave, more contemplating leaving. And we have these people who are like, well, I'm willing to step up and be a teacher. I wanna be a teacher, but I don't, you know, I, I'm gonna try this alternative cert stuff. Well, because they're also on emergency certifications, they didn't even get the training that you would normally get in an all cert program, they were just thrown classrooms and they're trying to learn all this stuff on the fly. And the alt cert programs are so abbreviated anyway. And now you want to like skip all that and just say, okay, I know you were working at Lowe's, but go ahead and take this classroom of 30 unruly kids that are going to test you at every opportunity and you can't be mean to them. <laughs> You know, we're, that's basically what we're doing. <laughs> and <laughs> these teachers also don't know how to write a lesson plan. They don't know how to break down the standards. They don't, and the standards are written in a way where if you don't already know how they're going to be tested, you don't really know what it is you're supposed to be teaching. Right. Like to what level are we analyzing a poem? To what level, you don't know unless you've, been through this already right so <laughs> we have literally a bunch of new teachers and a bunch of teachers who have been in it too long to just quit they're too close to their mm -hmm. retirement to let all that go and but they're bitter rightly yeah. so <laughs> but they're bitter and they're not necessarily not every case but they're not necessarily working with these new and upcoming teachers because they probably feel like they have to do everything anyway. So they're just mm -hmm. handing them stuff. Like, just do this. It works. Just do it. But also as that new teacher, you're like, I don't understand what you want me to do. I don't know right. what this looks like in a classroom. So we've got, you know, these, these wild extremes. And my job is to take the curriculum for this segment of time, build a plan for you by having a, a learning progression and then give you resources to use to teach it. So here I am like, oh, this is my dream job. I get to build all this stuff it was so cool. I get to build this for other teachers and I get to kind of test myself to see if I can build it and not buy it from somebody else. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing all this, but then like I'm realizing the teachers don't know what to do. They don't like, oh, this looks really cool but I don't know what to do with it. So you go in and then you're showing them, okay, well, look, we have all this stuff for you and this is where you find it. And the, you're speaking Swahili lady, stop. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's the first thing. Then the place where you tell them to go and look for all their resources. Okay. Don't laugh at this, but I have told 
several higher up people now. I've given them this analogy and in my brain, it is spot on. Okay, I like to shop. Way back in the, my early 20s, I worked in retail and I worked for one of those off-price stores. And yes, I'm about to name it, Ross Dress for Less. I, I love, love Ross. Ross. I love Ross because I always find something in Ross. But when I say that to people, they look at me like, oh, Lord, you must be like the epitome of patience because I don't have the patience for Ross. So my question is, well, what don't you like about it? And they're like, well, you walk in and you think you're going to be able to find something because there's signs and, you know, it's neat. There's rows of stuff. There's signs telling you where to go and look for it. But then when you go in that section, there's too much stuff. And things are where they're not supposed to be. And really, it's a mess. It's overwhelming. And it's frustrating. And I give up before I find anything. That is what our curriculum resource page looks like. It's overwhelming. And if you don't understand the system that and what fits in the system of learning, it means absolutely nothing. That's like walking into a Ross and finding something from Gucci, but you've never heard of Gucci. You don't know that you have a gym because it's it's amongst all this mess and you don't know what to do with it. So why are we still using it? Knowing that this is overwhelming teachers and we know that they're going to outside resources and spending their personal funds to buy activities that aren't necessarily aligned to our state standards because you know Texas has to be different. So they're not aligned, they're not to the level of mastery that we want to get these kids to. And we're not giving teachers the proper resources or the proper way to find them. And we're not giving them the time to learn how to use them. But then you want to complain that we're not getting the results come May when you get these tests back. Those are just a couple reasons why we're not getting the results back that mm-hmm. we want. I, I don't think your podcast is long enough for me to list <laughs> all the things that pop into my head without even doing research. <laughs> but I keep to, I, I gave the analogy of our curriculum resource page looks like Ross Dress for Less. I want it to look like Neiman Marcus. How do we get there? I have ideas. I have seen other people that work with me that have ideas. Put us in a room together. Let us bring our our ideas together. And I promise you we could create something much more organized, much more user-friendly. And it would also be something very prescriptive for that new teacher that comes in and they're like, you want me to teach subordinate conjunctions? what is subordinate conjunction? I don't even know what it is. And when they don't know what they're doing, they're going to teach it wrong. When you show them like, this is how you're going to do it. Yeah. You're taking away some of their independence and whatever, but we, we know what teaching looks like. We know what teaching is. If I can't come into your classroom and model it for you, then I need to give it to you in a prescriptive manner. So you can walk through the steps and then when you're comfortable with it, you can start making adjustments. Mm-hmm. And that's where these uh, veteran teachers are like, well, we don't want the scripted lesson. I'm like, okay, so don't use it. 
make your own adjustments, make it yours, or look at what we're teaching and do whatever it is you do if it's working. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. But that would be just something like that would be such a big help to teachers. It would take a lot of wasted time away that they could be using for all that HB 4545 small group intervention stuff for all the restorative practices that they could be doing with their own kids instead of sending them to the office because they can't deal with them anymore. Um, All those fun activities that we used to do when I was in school that they keep saying, don't do what your teachers did because you were in school 40 years ago. Well, um, not for nothing, I'm quite smart. I'm a quite, Mm -hmm. I think I'm an intelligent person and I know how to think for myself. That means my teachers did something right. So I'm not gonna throw everything away that they did. Do I wanna do worksheets and sit and listen to me talk for 45 minutes? No. So maybe some other things, but there has to be a balance. And we've lost that by trying to implement all these new fun, not even fun, it's not fun anymore. All these new redressed things. (laughs) Like, yeah. Just new systems. They don't even, they used to be curriculum. Now it's not even curriculum. Then there was a point in time where it was strategies, but now it's not even strategies. It's just systems. Just yeah. try try this system of things. Well, what, what strategies am I supposed to use? The same old ones. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, what resources am I going to use? The same the old same ones. Old ones. <laughs> you, you want me to do what I've been doing, except with this new system? I'm confused now. Mm-hmm. And then you want to implement five different systems at the same time. The same time. But you want to tell me that they overlap, but you can't show me how they overlap. Mm-hmm. So we were talking about professional development. The professional development that, um, okay, for Arlington, you know, we have to have X amount of hours on our personal time mm-hmm. to make up for these extra days that they give us throughout the year, which you're not paying me for them. So I don't know how they're extra days that you gave me. But anyway, these other days that we have where we don't work, we have to have exchange hours. So my new job is to provide some of this professional development over the summer hours when teachers are not working. So that means I'm working. Mm -hmm. So one, I don't know when I'm supposed to get these hours. But two, when I first started teaching, I looked forward to professional development, even though it was over the summer, I was like, oh, I'm going to learn how to do this with my kids. Oh, this is going to be so much fun because I'm a teacher. I like learning. Like those things go together. As the years progressed, it's like, I have to go to training. And not only do I have to go, but you're going to tell me what I have to, like, I have to have one thing in PBIS, or I have to have one thing around literacy. So not only now are you telling me I have to do this on my own time, but you're telling me what I have to learn. I, that blows my mind, first of all. Mm-hmm. So I asked the question, when we were making our goals and you know, sitting down with our supervisors. I said, okay, knowing that that's how we do our summer trainings, um, is there any wiggle room to add some trainings that might actually be interesting to teachers as well as useful. And the answer I got was, 
Well, of course you can do one, but you might end up doing it on your own time. And then of course I can request to get paid for it, but I like that word request. Um, so I said, okay, that's fine because like I said, I used to look forward to professional development. Now I don't, I want teachers to look forward to learning. We need to build that culture where teachers want to get better. Mm -hmm. They don't feel like they're just being forced to use all these things that come down from people who haven't been in a classroom in 30 years or who've never been in a classroom. And mm -hmm. so I'm just going to share because it's not a, uh, totally, a, it's on the calendar, but I haven't, we're still working on it. So my uh, professional development, I paired with one of the people in our technology department, because you know, that's what I like. And I said, hey, would you be interested in doing a three-hour uh, course with me that covers gamification? And they were like, oh, absolutely. So I'm excited about that because that's what I did in my classroom forever. And when I say that to people, they're usually like, so you just played a bunch of games. How'd your kids learn anything? And I was like, well, I didn't just play a bunch of games. Yes, we played games because mm -hmm. when I was a student, every year back to school time would come around and you could look forward to two things. You were getting new clothes and shoes and all that stuff. And you were going to go back to school and see all your friends, and you were excited to find out who your teachers were gonna be and all that stuff. Now it's like, oh, we start school next week. Right. Nobody, you know, <laughs> I'm like, it, it bothers me that kids feel that way because how do you expect them to be motivated for nine, 10 months? And they don't wanna be there on day one. Right. So, there's there's so many things about the culture of school that need to change and it's got to start with the teachers so I said let's do this because gamification will cover the PBIS without me telling you that it's going to cover PBIS mm -hmm. it will motivate kids intrinsically because we all know one they like playing games and being the best at them right. um, it also helps you level up your rigor for lack of a better word in your instruction and their learning and gives them the ability to extend that learning. There was a point in time when Arlington decided they were going to do ALC. What, what did ALC serve? Something learning yes, cycle. Active learning cycle. Active learning cycle. Thank you. And they had these Burke rubrics and, you know, some kids were at a level one where some were mm -hmm. at a, like a level three was their target. And then you had your extension at level four. I never had to go through that training, but I was sitting there looking at it going, that's gamification. Yep. I'm like, that's the whole point. Well, don't tell them that you want them to learn. They're going to do the opposite. They're kids. That's their job. Yep. But if you tell them, yeah, you're level two, but I'm a level four. Mm -hmm. They're going to be like, oh, no, hold up. I'm going to get you. Because people are naturally competitive. Yes. So, and then how, how empowering it is it for a kid to say, to see their learning in a different way. So if they walk into English class and they're not that great of a reader, like their vocabulary is just not where it should be. So maybe they read slowly and they have a hard time comprehending, 
But when it comes time to writing something, yeah, they still don't have that vocabulary, but they can get their point across in a way that others cannot. How empowering is that for them to see like, yeah, I'm not so good at it, this over here, but dang, I'm the bomb over here. Because now all they're seeing is I got to see in English. They're not seeing it as, you know, these different skills and even the smart kids in class are weak at something. And if your kids that are always down there on the weekend, weekend, not on the weekend, the weekend of things can see the kids that they have kind of written off as nerds struggle with something too. Oh my God, our kids would look at learning in such a different manner. Not only that, but put some fun into it. One of the favorite things I did in my classroom, we did it every year after spring break, kids would come back to class and they'd get some bad news that their favorite English teacher was no longer with us because she was murdered. And we got a reading and a writing unit complete with one activity. Right. State your claim, support your claim, argue your claim. What are the, okay. If you want to even go further, we're going to put these people on trial. Now, guess what? You think they're guilty? You're going to argue for the defense instead. Mm-hmm. And they loved all this. I even did poor SpongeBob got murdered in my class. They oh. loved this <laughs> stuff, but they loved it. And I've, I've had the opportunity where I could build one for the teachers to use. Um, matter of fact, they're on that unit now, I think. And the first thing that it was hard to get around teachers to wrap their head around was there is no right or wrong answer. Mm-hmm. Like, and I couldn't do murder because I was doing it for the whole district. So there were some piddly uh, thefts going on in an apartment complex. And I'm getting, now I'm starting to get like um, responses from teachers like, oh my God, we did this in our class and the kids loved it and this, that, and the other. So then my question coming right back is I'm so glad that they love it. How far did you take it? What did you do with it? Mm-hmm. Um, because I want I want you to go all the way through them arguing their point. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you say Johnny is the one who stole the money, why do you think it was Johnny? What evidence do you have? Support it with your text evidence. All this is the stuff leading up to STAR without me having to teach to the test because these are also life skills. Right. And, but it's a fun way to do it. And they have these checkpoints through it. So they level up. You start mm-hmm. off by making your prediction. Who do you think did it just based on reading the story? That's your level one. Because those kids are always going to try and guess their way through it. Mm, yep. But you can't get to level three until you can tell me why you think that. So keep right. going. And they work their way through. That's gamification. Uh, whatever you want to call it you've just stopped all your behavior problems in your classroom. Mm -hmm. You have locked in engagement. You have collaboration going on. You have, um, when you have those kids that are um, going through something, they now not only have a relationship with you, but they have a relationship with their peers. Mm -hmm. So you've kind of got some restorative stuff going on naturally in your classroom because they have people that they can go to and talk to. Right. You you didn't have to do anything extra. Right. 
So if it's that simple, why aren't there <laughs> more teachers? And I know, I know that that's not simple. None of right. that that she just for the listener, none of what she described is easy to plan, is simple to enact, is easy to carry out the first time. But Absolutely. if the ideas are out there, because you have this idea of gamification, if we have any repeat listeners, then the podcast right before this, when they would have heard Dr. Bell explain the exact same thing mm-hmm. um, as a teacher preparation program and teachers teaching through, he, he called them maps and students get to pick different places on the map and they have to learn something and solve problems before they can go to the next place. And sometimes you have to realize you can't pick that place until you've picked another place first. And so it's gamification. Yeah. Or project-based learning or active learning cycle, whatever you want to call it. Exactly. If the systems are out there, if the ideas are out there, why are still the large majority of districts and the large majority of administrators and the large majority of instructional coaches and curriculum design and all of the people saying, no, let's work through the gag. Let's, let's work through the scoping sequence. Let's, Let's start with, you know, reading a text and then let's answer multiple choice questions over the text. And then let's write a short answer question about the text, then a short essay about the text. Then we'll start with another text and do the same thing. Why is that the case if you've gotten good results doing this this other way? I know I've gotten results doing it the other way. Studies show that doing it that way is better and makes more sense. Why are so many not just teachers, but people who instruct teachers. And I don't want to say control, but mandate what teachers do. Why are they still stuck on the old system? Fear and politics. Um, There's a lot of money behind schools. Mm -hmm. The resources don't, I mean, the money doesn't filter down as resources into a classroom necessarily, but there's a lot of money in testing. There's a lot of money in making sure that there is a workforce to continue capitalism. And that means everybody can't be the smartest and have all these options if we want things to keep going the way they are in the same 1% getting rich off of the masses. And I hate to be that jaded, (laughs) but it's a capitalistic society and you see it in everything that we do. I mean, even during COVID, the emphasis wasn't on the quality of teaching that was going on. It was on the attendance Mm -hmm. and the schools getting their money for, you know, the kids showing up. For attendance, right. Now we're paying for that because there's also money in testing and there's also uh, money is associated with how well different states rank and how we rank nationally and globally as part of the world economy. So our ability to have future innovators is predicted based on those test scores. And if they have now, now, now there's a scramble because kids aren't reading, kids aren't doing math, kids are just completely disengaged. And I think part of that is because a lot of them don't know how to articulate what they're feeling, but I think they saw that 
oh, wait, I can learn this way when I, when I'm left to my own devices, those that, that did engage, when I'm left to my own devices, I can do it in a way that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I can take my time with it. And, oh, this isn't so bad. Because I had students that when we first shut down in March of 2020, that, you know, those kids that when they show up to class, you're like, I knew you were going to be here, but dang, can you be absent just one day? You know, mm-hmm. and we all have those kids. Those were my most engaged at the end of that school year. I had a couple of them even ask me like, hey, do you have more work? Because I want, like, I usually, okay, seventh grade is also, we read The Outsiders. And I know that's book. one, of, I, right. <laughs> I love that. That is the book that made me a reader. Me too. Because I read all the time as a small child, you know, but then you get in, you know, the upper elementary grades and coming into junior high, and you just, you're too cool for all that. But seventh grade, when I was in seventh grade, we read The Outsiders, and the, I'm really going to date myself here, Whew. but the movie came out, I was either grade or eighth grade when the movie came out, but I had already read the book. So that was just another element that added to the book, like, because you, you could say like, oh, I read this book, you know, it was a cool thing to say you had already read the book. And then looking at the actors that were in the movie, they were like the A-list hot yeah. teen actors at the time. So it was just another way to connect with that piece of literature. Is The Outsiders the most in-depth book ever written? Is it like got all these layers? Absolutely not. The girl was 16 when she wrote it. I mean, mm-hmm. come on. But the story is timeless. The story is so relatable, no matter what your socioeconomic status is, no matter what your ethnicity is, everybody can relate to the story. Mm-hmm. We hadn't read it yet in my class. And I was like, oh, we're not coming back. And we have to read The Outsiders before they finish seventh grade. I can't let them finish seventh grade without reading The Outsiders. And so I found a way. You know, we lots of publishing companies said you can play our audio, you know, videos, you can read the book. And so I did all that and I created, um, I took the activities that we already used and tried to find a way to make them digital. And I think I worked harder during that time when everybody thought we were just kicking back in our pajamas than any other time because I had to recreate everything that Mm -hmm. I'd ever done. But I was able to do that and I got some of the best stuff from these kids because they would come on Zoom and they just wanted to talk about the book. Mm -hmm. They wanted to talk about how um, it was just so messed up how uh, Johnny's parents treated him or Mm -hmm. how Pony Boy's brothers, they just, and they were like, yeah, because my brother does this or my dad does this or my mom does this. They just wanted to, and they didn't care that they were learning. They didn't, they didn't care. It was just, it was a fun something for them to do while they were gone. I got kids coming out of their shell. Like they were, I had, I gave them a choice board at the end, like do an alternate ending or I don't even remember what was on there. I remember the alternate ending because I had this one student who was so quiet all year long. Like I had to 
make her talk. Like I had to ask her questions and she would answer them. And that was it. She would not elaborate. (laughs) (laughs) She'd answer my, so I had to like, you know, really think through my questions before they came out my mouth. (laughs) And this girl, one of her friends told on her one day and said she can make um, like animated videos or something. And I was like, oh, really? That's cool. You know, let me, let, you know, show me one of your things one, one day, or maybe you can do one for an assignment. Never happened. This came around and I did message her. I'm not going to lie. It wasn't totally her idea, but I was like, hey, you're at home with all this extra time. Maybe you could make one of these, you know, animated films for me. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I think a minute long, because that's a lot of work. And come mm-hmm. to find out, she couldn't do it on her Chromebook. She did it on her phone. She had a whole animated video with an alternate ending where Johnny didn't die. And I still use that on my portfolio. Like, this is the stuff I get from my students. And that's been three years now. But so she's a, she'll be a junior. I'm like, just that one kid who wouldn't talk Mm -hmm. to come out of her shell and create something like that was just amazing to me. But like I said, left to her own devices with the time she needed to express herself instead of having to do it in that 45 minute block, she was able to do something like that. And it, I don't know what she's, I know she's still in art classes and I, you know, I'm not at the school anymore, so I don't get to see them. They don't come, you know, to the main <laughs> office to visit me. <laughs> but I had a very similar story that that year during COVID. Um, so obviously I had Mr. Lazardo, and I've said on here before, we we were told figure out what you can do to keep the kids involved. Remember that a lot of these kids use school as an escape try to make it fun, try to make it relevant, try to teach your content, but we want to make sure that we are a place of refuge, right? So I went back Mm -hmm. to the outsiders. With my Mm -hmm. seniors, we read the outsiders again, because I have technology-based lesson plans on the outsiders from when I was at Carter. Yeah. And so we were reading it, and obviously reading it with seventh graders, which are 12-year-olds, is totally different than reading it with my seniors, who were 18. Yes. And we were reading it and we had gotten to the end, but we hadn't even gotten to the end. We were, I think like three or four chapters before the end. So Johnny had just died, Mm. but none of the other things had happened yet. And a student in my first period class, he said, Mr. Smith, I know we have a bell ringer, but I can't keep waiting for this question. I've been waiting for five weeks and y'all are just catching up to where I'm at. (laughs) So, I have to ask the question. I said, okay, that's fine. What's the question? And of course he's talking and everyone else is muted. He says, why didn't his friends, if his friends really cared about him that much, why didn't they call CPS? And I was like, uh, <laughs> anybody have an answer? I have no <laughs> idea. And someone else said, not answering the question. Yeah, because dairy pony and soda they they knew cps because how else would dairy have been able to take control of his two minor siblings when he wasn't an adult cps has been in their life Mm. 
And I was like, I've never experienced this. And then someone else popped in. So I'm still on mute, just in shock. Then someone else popped in. Yeah. And quite frankly, 2-Bit is a thief. He's been to jail. That means he's been a part of CPS. Because when a kid goes to jail, CPS becomes involved. (laughs) And so then it's, then how do you know? And then, well, I went to jail and the, the day I got taken in, CPS contacted my parents to figure out what they were doing when I was stealing. And so Dally is a runaway. He's been to jail. So why CPS is involved in his life? Why isn't CPS stepping up for Johnny? And then someone was like, CPS may have been called. That doesn't change who his parents are. And Mm. if he's not telling on them, And then we went into this long discussion because now this person has opened up and then he eventually said, yeah, my dad used to beat me. But when CPS came, we would just lie because my dad was the only person that made money. So if he goes to jail, we are now all homeless. And that started a new conversation. And then it was time for second period to start. But my first period was still having a conversation. So I just started letting second period into the Zoom. Okay. And by the end of the day, and I mean legitimately three, four o'clock, school ends at 2.20. By like four o'clock, I'm in a Zoom with 170 students who are talking about CPS, abuse, not just emotional. They then went into physical abuse and they went and that's why Johnny felt the need to save the kids because he really didn't value his life because no one else had taught him to value his life. And oh no that can't be it well yeah because I felt that way like everyone gave and we had a student who the year before this we had had a student who was shot and a student got put on the news because he was there administering CPR he was like Mm. people don't know the pressure that put on me when realistically I was just hoping they wouldn't stop shooting and that I would die too and then it became this whole big thing and I was like this is the most like You've taken this small piece of The Outsiders, a book that I've read well over 200 times. (laughs) And you've asked a question I've never thought to ask simply because I've never been in that position. Right, that's not in your background. And then there's so many people who are now getting this new thing. So when I did my final assignment, you know, write an essay about The Outsiders. That's my, that was the only topic. And that was the only grade I took the whole two Mm. months. And- Mm. I got so many essays that were about emotional abuse, physical abuse, the value of life, parenting, stepping up as a sibling. And every other year I get the importance of friendship, the importance of not judging people. And this year I got, and part of it is I had 18 year olds. Right. But part of it is just, they had this time where they were forced to be in situations where they, a lot of them, the student who asked the original question, I didn't know at the time, was going through an issue with CPS. They were trying mm. to take, not him because he was 18, but his three younger siblings out of his house mm. because both of his parents were drug addicts. And he was like, why didn't CPS just come? Like, they're bothering wow. me and my family and we're happy. Like, he, he was like, yeah, my parents are on drugs, but they go to work every day. They pay all of our bills and they don't abuse us. Johnny's getting beat. They're bothering us. Why aren't they bothering him? Wow. Um, wow. And it's, it's amazing what kids do 
and how they are able to be creative when you give them the space, when you give them the opportunity, when you allow them to make it real for themselves, which is why I asked the question, why aren't more teachers doing it? Because I would, I would think just how I am as a teacher, that more teachers want to see this side of their students. They want them to be they, more involved. Yes, yes. And teachers will tell you that when I got out of the classroom, how do I get them involved? How do I get them to care? You have to make it something worth caring about. And that sometimes means, because honestly, the other three teachers on my English four level, like we're not reading a seventh grade book with our but, seniors. But think about, Okay, even if you read that senior level book, you're still going to get that surface level understanding. You're going to get that top layer. And if you enjoyed the book, which I know for me, when my teachers told me I had to read something, I hated it. But when you go back as an adult and read that same book, your perception is so, and that's what happened for your seniors. Mm -hmm. They've grown in that time. They're background knowledge has expanded their way of looking at the world is different from what it was so why not read a seventh grade book I think that's brilliant and that I'm like I have chills listening to you talk about you want them to keep digging and keep digging until they can't dig anymore and we want them to develop that empathy not only that but one of the things in teaching reading and you know, you have your little plot chart, and this is the intro, and this is the climax, and da-da-da, all that stuff. Who cares? <laughs> Who really cares? When are you good? What if you're not an English teacher? What job is gonna ask you to plot a story? <laughs> None. But somebody pointed out to me, like, because they were a reluctant leader when they were a kid, and now they're an English teacher, pointed out to me, like, yeah, but that's a life skill. And I was like, a life scale what are you talking about they're like I want you to like whatever point you are in your life whether it's a good point or a bad point be able to look at the plot chart of your life and see what was the inciting incident for this or where did it climax what turn did you take what decisions did you make that put you on this path versus that path how did you fix it I never thought about it like that until that person said it. And I was like, you just reinvigorated me because now I'm teaching reading with more zeal than ever. (laughs) Right. Right. It's so important to find those teachers. But if we keep burning teachers out, they're never going to get to that point. Because even for the person who's supposed to be the expert and the teacher, If you're new at it, I don't care if you're the president of the United States or you're the president of Amazon, you weren't as good at your job when you first started as you are now. Right. And nobody should expect teachers to be that way either. And if you're going to make me go through professional development, you need to do with the same systematic progression that you do for the kids. If you're telling me that the kids need to see me model something. And they need to get practice and they need to get constructive feedback and then they need to practice some more and then let's look at it again and okay here's some more feedback and refine it some more and then you're going to be at mastery and now you can go and do what you want to do with this skill 
why aren't you doing the same for teachers? Don't just tell me to do something and not show me how to do it. Yep. And then expect me to stay in this career for 30 years. But that takes time and money. It does take time and money. And it also takes an attitude shift. Mm -hmm. You can't keep looking at teachers like babysitters. And you can't keep saying, okay, well, I just need you to score this on the test. Mm -hmm. Because when my kids are done with that test and they have to go out into the real world and they become, say, a police officer, I need them to be able to think through this situation and empathize Mm-hmm. with whomever it is that they're in contact with and maybe be able to evaluate their motiva- their motivations into what got them in that situation. And they need to be able to do this quickly. Yeah. They're, you know, so this needs to be a habit, not just something they learn one day. They, it needs to be a habit so that they can get in these situations and they can say, you know what, let me deescalate this. Let me handle this like I'm talking to a human being, not like I'm talking to this animal who is disrupting my day. Yeah. And police officers will get specialized training. I'd like for the guy at the red light who I don't push the gas as fast as I need to for one reason or another. Like I literally may have just sneezed, but I don't push the gas. I need that guy behind me to understand that anything could have been happening in my car. Please don't start honking and screaming at me and definitely don't jump out of your car. I need you to be able to critically think, well, if I get out of my car, what could happen next? And that's just prediction. That's inference. Those are skills we teach in English that parents say, but, or not even parents, district mandates, the state board tells us, well, they should be able to answer a multiple choice question. Yeah, but at that red light, they won't have options. They, they won't just have, have to figure it out. And so have we given them the skills to critically think in the situation, in a real life situation? And a lot of times life will tell us most people don't have the ability to critically think and make complex predictions mm-hmm. and complex inferences based on the information given. Right. So now you've got two sides of a situation with not a lot of skills mm-hmm. in that area. And it, it's a recipe for disaster. And that's what we're seeing. And not just police, you know, interacting with normal people, but politicians making decisions. Yes. HB 4545. Oh my God. You want kids to have more since when does doing more equate better? In any situation, this food tastes horrible. I'm going to put more salt on it. That's a dumb idea. Yeah. Why, why do you think more hours in the day of learning is going to make them better? Yeah. I want the teacher who's claiming to be overworked and the student who's claiming to be overworked to do more of the work that we say doesn't work. Yes. <laughs> That is the definition of what? <laughs> yeah, that's what we want to do over and over again. And it's wonderful. It's, it's great. And we're going to do just, it. And we're going to feed money into it. The whole thing came out it. and they're reading it to us. And then we're going to turn around and compare our schools with schools like those in Sweden and Spain, mm-hmm. who probably only have study hours, like four hours a day, five hours a day. 
with uh, breaks, in, like hours of break in between. When I said my very first year, when we had the two bilingual teachers, we mm -hmm. had several teachers that were from Spain because we couldn't get enough bilingual teachers here in the States. They literally went to other countries and recruited people. And they were flabbergasted for lack of a better word at how ridiculous our school day was. They were like, but when are the kids supposed to rest? When they get home. Yeah. They were like, that's dumb. Like, and doctor, okay, you know how like on your email, you have your little tag and your doctor, mm -hmm. your quote that you like, I don't even remember the quote exactly because I've gotten so used to just not even looking at my own email. <laughs> but um, I think it's Dr. Seuss. It might even be somebody else. But basically it's saying that playtime for kids is education time. And I think back on that, and that's one of the things that takes me back to gamification because they're using all these skills to be better at the game, but they're still using the skills. Yeah. Um, but that's how, that's how kids, and we know this, this isn't anything new by me saying, you know, allowing kids to use their imagination and to play is how they learn. Yeah. Nobody's going to disagree with me if I say that in a room full of experts, mm -hmm. but at the same time, we have another room full of non-experts that are acting like experts in our field saying time that there, we need to make the time for that. One of the things that did bother me at Carter is that we had um, our advisory period. And for the last two, two years that I was there, I tried really, really hard and it never came to fruition. But I was like, why don't we take that time? And like, we have six, six week periods on the even six weeks, we can have clubs instead of advisory. Mm -hmm. so, and so you're not even doing a lot. That means three club times a year and they don't meet every day, just like every Wednesday, let's say, mm -hmm. or every Friday, you get together with a club, the kids get to pick the club that they want. The teachers are the adults because it could be coaches. It could be, um, counselors, whoever wants to lead a club, they can lead a club and it can be anything you want to do. The school that I worked at, um, where I got the idea, so I'm stealing it. It wasn't even my brilliant idea. Uh, it was a middle school and I was a para, but they did this. And a lot of the teachers paired up to do their club. Mm -hmm. They had Frisbee club. They had a knitting club. They had a robotics club. There was a yoga club. There was um, a game board club. Whatever it was that the adults were like, oh, this would be fun. Mm -hmm. They started the club and the kids and the kids were so excited to sign up because it was like they had to be fast and get the one that they wanted and right. you know, all this stuff. So they did that. And then during that advisory time on whatever day of the week, we would meet. And I was like, I don't know what I would even do. Like I had no mm -hmm. idea. So one of the teachers that I worked with was like, hey, do it with me and we'll do yoga. I used to be a yoga instructor. I was not, <laughs> but I got to learn something new. Um, I got to teach some of it, you know, so that was some teaching experience for me. 
the kids that were, I mean, it was just girls in our, you know, group because it is yoga and it is junior high, <laughs> but um, some of the girls that were in it were only in it because their friend wanted to sign up and they didn't know anything about yoga. Maybe they weren't the thinnest girls either, but I'm not the thinnest person. So that was good for them to see that. And we kind of st struggled through it together. I remember there was one girl that, um, teachers was like, okay, we're just going to do one stretch here for a solid minute. Pick your favorite pose and go to it. This girl just laid out on the floor. <laughs> like she was just flat on her back, just laying there. We were like, what pose is that? She was like, this is the dead man pose. <laughs> I will never forget that because she was kind of, you know, she was overweight and she was, she was struggling with getting into some of those poses. But by the end of it, because I was like, come on, it's going to be me and you. We're going to do this together. It, it was, it was so like all, and all those kids have graduated now. And a number of them have, you know, they invited me to their graduation. So it was like, okay, but I got to go to this one too. So I might be late, but I'll be there, you know, as a para, because mm -hmm. they created opportunities to build relationships with these kids. And I know when I was in school, my, my music teacher asked us one day, because you know how they go back and forth with cutting funds for the liberal arts. Mm -hmm. So they were talking about cutting the music programs from schools. My teacher asked one day, he said, why are you in choir? And he just asked it to the class. And, you know, people were giving reasons like, oh, um, I just really like singing or this is my. I tear it, you know, all that kind of stuff. And he got around to me and I said, I don't know. I've always been in choir. I don't know. And that's kind of what he was waiting to hear. He's like, so if you weren't in choir though, what would you be in? And I was like, probably nothing because I've always been in choir. Mm -hmm. And he's like, it's like that. It's like that for so many kids. If they don't have something that they can do outside of academia, mm -hmm. They have no reason to come to school. Right. And if we keep piling more academics on them, we're just giving them more reasons to quit. I thought our goal was 100% graduation and college and career ready and military ready. But if you're, and, and by piling on the academics, when some kids just aren't that good at it, they struggle with it but they're so smart and so talented and something else, they do okay on academics. You know, they're not completely given up or whatever. They, they do okay, but they could really shine somewhere else and you never give them that opportunity mm -hmm. to be good at something. You're telling these kids, operative word here, kids, that you don't value them as a person because you don't want them to feel good about themselves. And then you wonder why we have all these problems in society. Like it starts in school. And unfortunately it starts in like first grade. Right. And I think with testing, just to touch on the electives, a lot of what the systems have told us to do is if you fail a test, you need extra practice. And that may be true. You may, may need be. extra track practice. But what they do is they take away your electives to give you that extra practice. 
So I'm going to take away what you do for fun to give you more work, which goes against self-care. And even yes. more than that, when you get to the upper grade levels, when you get to sophomore, junior, seniors, and you're doing the project restoration, or I can't even remember what mm. they call it, where they go out and we're knocking on people's doors. We haven't been to school in months. Yeah. When they look at those numbers, the number of kids who drop out are so much higher amongst kids, the lower number of electives they've taken. Absolutely. So kids who are four-year athletics or four-year band or four-year choir, or they may not be four-year of any one athletic, but they've had two every year, which you're supposed to. They give you eight mm -hmm. class periods and only four of those class periods are supposed to be core classes. So you're supposed to have at least four electives every year. Mm -hmm. That's what it's supposed to be. Yet somehow, you get to kids who graduate and have taken one elective or two electives because they failed the seventh grade English test. So in ninth grade, they put them in regular English and remedial English. Mm -hmm. And they failed the ninth grade, the seventh grade or the eighth grade math test. So they put them in regular math and remedial math. Well, that's two of their electives. Two, yep. Well, then they took Spanish and they took health. Well, then they failed Spanish. And so they have to take Spanish again the second year, their sophomore year. And then again, the junior year and then by the time they get to their senior year they're now in three English classes and not just two and right. they still have a remedial and they're right. in two science classes and two Spanish classes and a social studies class and a math class and they don't have electives and so when they stop showing up to school you go knock on their door like hey why'd you stop showing up and they say it wasn't fun right and you because well, it's not supposed to be fun but it is but it is because you're a kid <laughs> And on top of all that work, they're seeing other kids leave in the middle of the day because they're mm -hmm. done. Because they're whether done. they're going to work or they're going home, they're going whatever, they get to leave. Right. Because my child, <laughs> he don't, I mean, football season is over and track practice is after school. So he ain't even getting up, going to school till <laughs> 11 o'clock. And I'm like, wait a minute, you go at 11 and you're home at like 1.30. That, I mean, because even for me, my senior year of high school, I was there all day because I had five choir classes, mm -hmm. five. I was in every choir I could be in, and I was a teacher's aide for choir. It sounds like my schedule. My senior year, I had one real class. I was a future teaching intern, which is double block. That was two of my eight classes. I was in the express choir and the men's choir. That was two classes, and that was one day. Then the next day I was in athletics, theater, choir aid, mentors. And they were like, you know, you could just take off peers. I was like, but I enjoy being here. I, exactly. Because I'm not doing anything all day. Exactly. Like, it's so much fun. But then you have kids and they say, well, it's if they would just pass their classes, they would always have their four electives. And I said, yeah, but my best friend's mom died at the end of her freshman year. So mm. she failed all of her exams because she didn't show up because her mom died. Right. And so she had to repeat all of those classes the next year. Well, that meant she was never going to be able to have four electives again because she had four classes that she had to take. So she took them all the next year. But when you're taking two English and two math and two science and two history, you then don't do as well because you don't have, like I did most of my English work in choir class. It just is what it is. 
she didn't have that option. So she was getting double the amount of homework as everybody else. So now she's behind again the next year. And so now she has six extra classes to take the next year. And then her senior year, when she really should only have two classes because she's not an idiot, she is really smart, but because she failed one semester in every class because she had a life problem and her family couldn't afford to send her to summer school because we had to pay for it in my district. She just didn't Mm. get to have electives. And so when she almost quit and they were doing her project graduation is what it was called. Mm. When they went to her, she was like, every year I just fall further behind. I'm not coming back. And they said, well, if you come back, we can waive these classes. If you could waive the classes, why am I taking the classes? And I hate to scream that, but it's like, what are you, how is this system correct? Why did you wait until after I gave up to tell me that I had other options? When now I went from being this big, bright, beautiful child to the small little Mm -hmm. piece of a person. Mm -hmm. Like way to beat somebody down. (laughs) Yeah. And and they were like, well, this should motivate you to come back. She was like, no, it doesn't. Because it shows me that the system doesn't want me to succeed. They just want me to be average. You just want me to show up. Because when I was showing up and I wasn't successful, you didn't care. Now that and I'm just, not showing up, you care again. Now you care. And and just the fact that these kids come to that realization shows that they are not dumb. They can think right. through these situations. Yeah. They can it's, see the reading, the writing on the wall. Yeah. And, and as a teacher, we're supposed to say, no, that's not how the system works. But, but it is. <laughs> it is. It really is. Okay, so I could take up so much more of your time. I was, I I was looking at the time, like, we, so, we could talk forever. So I do ask one question at the end, because obviously this is where we get our name. If you had one piece of advice, one public service servant's announcement for just any group of listeners, whether that be teachers, students, administrators, instructional coaches, curriculum writers, police officers, firefighters, or just humans who live what would your one public servant's announcement be? Um, wow. I guess I actually it would kind of be two pieces of advice. One okay. is just always kind of live in reflection. Always look at... Um, what you did, how you could be better in that situation. Even if it turned out great, just always look for improvement in yourself and to create balance. And when I say create balance, I mean, first of all, you have to define what's, what your priorities are and make them known to other people. People aren't going to value your time if you don't tell them what's important. So tell people like, this is where I draw the line at this or whatever, or practice it and people will see it and learn how to, you know, you just, it's hard to say no sometimes, it's a skill, but having that balance really keeps you um, sane. It keeps you in a, keeps you out of a state of exhaustion and you are able to then think for yourself instead of just going along with the program. So balance and reflection. That's, Perfect. And sometimes it takes that living in reflection to recognize where you can balance. Like you said, even if something comes out great, 
my best year teaching as an educator, I was not balanced. I spent all of my time in education, educating, and I neglected a lot of the outside life. And so that next year, because I had to have an administrator tell me, you, your scores were great. Your kids loved you, but you're not going to be able to keep that up for 20 years. Let, I mean, you're not going to be able to keep it up for five, let alone 20, <laughs> yeah. is what she told me. And I said, okay, so how do I do that? And she said, you have to make a schedule. And that means you have to show up at a time, but you also have to leave at a time. And your schedule doesn't need to be a 12 hour mm -hmm. schedule. It needs to be like a nine hour schedule, a 10 hour schedule. Yeah. And I said, okay. Yeah. Um, and so reflecting with someone else, because I wasn't good at it yet, helped me create balance yeah. and doing both. Cause sometimes even now my balance is off. And you don't recognize that until you reflect. Those are great. I've never thought of it. Those, those are great pieces of advice. Live in reflection, which is a quote that someone should put on a t-shirt. <laughs> and then make sure to find your balance and stay balanced. I told y'all this would be a great podcast. <laughs> and that she would have a bunch of wisdom. I told y'all. I said that when we started. And I know I say that every podcast. And I guess at this point, people are probably like, I bet this one's not going to be great. But every time... It is. So I'd like to thank Miss Finley for coming on again, because as she stated at the beginning, I know she doesn't normally do this type of thing. And I just appreciate her coming on and not just coming on, but coming on and sharing so much information about so many different things and giving us so much to take with us and become not just better educators, but better people in general. Thank you for having me. I'm going to do one suggestion. I would love to come back with maybe one or two other people and have a whole group conversation. I think that would be awesome. It's in the works. Okay. Um, and it's a small group you're already a part of. I believe it's happening. I believe it'll come to pass, but it's, I mean, it's in the works. I love that idea because I do want to just sit and listen to a bunch of the amazing educators talk to each other and not just talk to me. Yes. But thank awesome. you again for coming on. Thank our listeners for listening to another episode of Public Servants Announcement. So continue to just be a wonderful person, continue to live a wonderful week, and we will be back next week. Bye.